0: Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that you've given to us. Thank you, Father, for this time of fellowship, of meditating upon your word. Lord, speak this morning to us. Sanctify me, O Lord. Forgive my sin, iniquity, and my transgression. Father, cleanse me by your blood. Grant me a clear conscience. Speak through me. Speak to all of us this This morning, give us hearing hearing ears and willing hearts, not only to hear the word, but to obey what we have heard this morning. Come at this time into your hands, grant us unction, anointing and authority from above. We praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Title today's uh, message in um, view of uh, the season of celebration that we are going through as a church, as a Protestant church, celebrating uh, the Reformation, um, this is an interesting uh, thing. I mean, this is called the Diet of Worms. How many of you had a Diet of Worms? Well, uh, that's got nothing to Diet of Worms has got nothing to do with the Protestant Reformation. If it's in English, but if you read this in German, Diet means a council. Worms is a place in Germany. (laughs) Worms is a place in Germany and this is the picture where that is uh, our great Martin Luther. In 1525, he was standing before the council, the Diet of Worms and uh, giving giving them his convictions. They wanted him to recant all that he spoke. And then he stood all by himself. That's remarkable. It reminds me of Apostle Paul. When in the first defense, everybody forsook me. But the Lord himself stood by me and strengthened me. And because of him, we have Martin Luther. And because of Martin Luther, we are all here in this place. In a Catholic place and enjoying uh, (laughs) the true God. (laughs) That's remarkable, isn't it? The Diet of Worms. What, is he, what did he say? 500 years of reformation. This is remarkable. It's this is in, incredible times that we are living in. Last Sunday's message. Sola Scriptura. That's one of the, the five uh, solas of the Protestant Reformation. We'll talk about that in a while. 500 years of reformation. And what did Martin Luther say at the Diet of Worms? This is what he had to say. Unless I am convinced by written scripture. Sola scriptura. And by plain reason or evident reason, I do not accept the authority of the, and the councils. For they contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything for to go against conscience would be neither right nor safe. God help me. Here I, here I stand, I can do no other. Boom, the reformation started. Those statements send ripples into the religious establishment. And literally, the church emerged out of what we call the dark ages. It's just not the church, the entire civilization, so to speak, emerged out of darkness and into light. Because of this one man who said, "I will not recant." You know why? Because my conscience is captive to the word of God. So the 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 reform reformers, so to speak, they they came up. What what was the essence of the Protestant Reformation? And uh, and when they looked at the entire theology or the doctrine of that was that was emerging during the Reformation, they came up with five solas. That is that is what we call the five solas. Of the uh, Protestant Reformation. Sola meaning Latin for only, alone. Okay. The five solas. The question they wanted to answer was. How can a just God forgive sinful man? Uh, Socrates made this very powerful statement. He said. It may be that deity will forgive sin. God may forgive sin. It may be. But I don't see how. And he had a point. He was saying. How is it possible. For God to be merciful. And just. And righteous at the same time. We sang today. Beautiful songs. How is it. That God could come and forgive our sin. Or what did did it take. God to forgive our sin. And they came up with this five solas. How could he do that? How could God reconcile us back to himself? Unless he made the first step, we could never have done it ourselves. That is the reason why Jesus said, no one comes to the father except the father draws him first. And therefore the the Protestant reformers, they came up with this five solas, which says, by God's grace alone. First, sola gratia. On the basis of the work of Christ alone. Sola Christos. Received through faith alone. Sola Fide. So that in all things. God may be glorified alone. Soli Deo Gloria. With scripture alone. As the final authority in all Thanks. Five. Grace alone. What is this grace? It is the power of God unto salvation. What is it? What is the power of God? The power of God which was against us because of our sin. We had a problem, right? We all sin. uh, Romans 3.23 will say... All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wrath of God is being made manifest against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We all have sinned. And what does Romans 6.23 say? The wages of sin is death. God has to send us eternally into death unless he does something about our sin. Unless he does something about consuming his own wrath so that he can extend mercy toward us. How can he do that? The Protestant reformers came up with five solas. So follow carefully. And by the way, this reformation is not a new thing. Throughout the history of the church and throughout the history of Israel, reformation was taking place over a period of time again and again and again. So first question we need to ask is, what is a Reformation? We'll try to understand scripture alone, okay? that's what the sermon we uh, heard last, last month, last week, possibly one of the most fantastic, powerful sermons ever preached on this pulpit. I'm sure it ruffled a lot of feathers, but scripture alone. Because the, and the, the foundation on which our church is built, that in all things, Christ should have the preeminence. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Or 19? 19, 19? 19, 19, 19, okay, sorry. 18. So, scripture alone. So, what is reformation? We'll ask the question, what is reformation? We'll go to the Bible. The Greek has a particular word. And the Hebrew has a particular word. And the word reformation, by the way, it occurs only once in the entire Greek Testament. I mean, the word translated as reformation. And it means to make something straight. To straighten out. That is what reformation means in the Greek. Get that picture in mind. What does it mean in Hebrew? It means to please God. So let me just show you a few verses to try to understand what reformation is. In Jeremiah chapter 26 verse 13. Now reform your ways. This is the NIV translation. And your actions and obey the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent and will not bring the disaster he has pronounced against you. So the wrath of God will not consume us if you reform your ways. Uh, Other translation will say, this is the NKJV. It will say, now therefore amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. So this word, what is to amend? What is to reform? we have a principle in um, biblical exposition what we call as the law of first appearance to understand the root of a particular word we go into the bible and see where it occurs for the very first time so we get a very clear picture as to what it means what is to be reformed and where does this word reform occur the question therefore in other words is Where did the first reformation take place in the Bible? Any guesses? Put the five things in your mind. What is that? Sola gratia. By grace alone. Through Christ alone. By faith alone. For the glory of God alone. Through scripture alone. So if those are the five solos on which the Protestant Reformation was based, I mean, that was absolutely biblical. Where did the first Reformation take place? And uh, you would say, Moses, who brought back the children out of Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments, etc., and gave them the law. That was Reformation because they were a bunch of slaves, had no idea what it is to please God, and that's how Reformation took place. No. The very first reformation had only two people in it. And now you can guess. Two people involved in the very first reformation. The very first reformation is found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you reform yourself, (laughs) that's the word. Will you not be accepted? It's a rhetorical question. What does it mean? Change answer the question and you know you know what God is he's making a statement okay okay, he's making a statement. How can you write engineering entrance exam if you have forty percent in math? Answer you can't okay, God what I'm saying. so that's exactly what he's trying to say over here. If you do well, will you not be accepted in other words, if you want to be accepted, something has to happen to you. You have to reform yourself. And if you do not know too well, who's lying at the door? Sin, as a person, is lying at the door. He wants to master over you, but you have to master it. And the first words were given to Cain. Asking him and pleading with him to reform himself. And there's only one guy who actually came up with the reformation. And who's that person? And you'll say, Abel. Let's see what Abel does. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. By faith, Abel. I love that. Offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous God testifying of his gifts and though he dead, he still speaks. You know what what Abel does? He says, Lord, there is nothing good in me. If I have to come into your presence, I have to come by grace alone. If I have to be accepted in your presence, I have to bring the blood of the lamb which was shed for my sin into your presence. That is through Christ alone. And if I have to accept, if I have to do the whole thing, I have to do this by faith alone. And in all these things, who's the center? It is not about me. The center of worship, as we heard in the morning, it is not about us. It is about God. Through the glory of God alone. And you know what happened? God says, you're righteous. You're righteous. And no, tell me. Sola scriptura. How does it come here? What is the scripture that Abel has to justify the way that he has worked out? There is only one scripture. One revelation from his parents. If I have to be accepted by God, one somebody innocent has to pay the substitution for my sin. Yesterday, if you were there in the pastor's conference, pastor was talking about that. That is a revelation that he had. He did everything based upon one revealed scripture that you cannot come into the presence of God except through the blood of the Lamb. That is how the first Reformation started. So that is the ref- that is Reformation. In Jeremiah chapter thirty-five verse fifteen, again and again, I sent all my servants to the prophets to you. They said each of you must turn from your wicked ways and and reform your actions. Do not follow other other gods to serve them, then you will live in the land I have given to you and your ancestors, but you have not paid attention to me or listen to me. And every generation, by the way, every generation has to be taught how to come back to God. Every generation. I was, uh, we have our Romans Bible study and this is one young girl in our Bible study. She's about, uh, she's in the 7th grade or 8th grade. She got baptized recently. She's one of the most brightest in my Bible study. She understands Romans better than I understand when I was at her, her age. She answers questions which are so theologically complex. And I looked at her and I said, you know, her name is Kiruba. I said, Kiruba. you know why you're learning? One day when you grow up, you learn scripture so that you can lead your children to Christ. I'm teaching you so that you can teach your generation. That is what Paul tells Timothy. He tells, you know what, what I have entrusted to you among faithful witnesses and teach it to others so that they'll be able to teach others also. There are four generations which are involved over there. And so if every generation is not taught this doctrine, it will be lost and we will lose our children. Every generation has to be taught in Judges chapter 2 verses 10 to 12. We know this verse very well. When all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know their God. Nor the work which the Lord had done. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, and who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. All right. Every generation has to be taught. Let's read this, okay? The tornado, the Lutherans, and homosexuality. This was an article written by uh, John Piper on the eve of a Lutheran convention that was taking place in Minneapolis in 2009. That was not very not very far. 2009 is about uh, eight years ago, seven years, eight years ago, eight years. 2009, eight years ago. That is about 492 years after the Lutheran Reformation, where Luther said by Scripture sola scriptura. So let me just give you as to what he was was trying to say that day. Now this is, according to the convention, I mean the flyer there, this is uh, Evangelical Lutheran Convention of America. They had a schedule on August 19, 2009, the fifth convention, which was supposed to begin at 2 p.m. I'm giving you all the details, 2 p.m. The main item of this session, what is the main item? Consideration. Proposed social statement on human sexuality. This is, think about it guys. This is the Lutheran convention which is holding, they want to pass a resolution. What is this particularly? The issue is whether practicing homosexuality is a behavior that should disqualify a person from pastoral ministry. Four centuries after Luther, they're gone. They're gone. You know what happened that day? There was no weather forecast of a tornado. Exactly at 1.30 p.m., a tornado started in Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis. It started to get momentum. It came to the Lutheran Convention at 2 p.m. exact. They had tents all around because they were expecting a lot of people coming there. Tents all around. The tornado came, swept the entire tents, broke them to shreds. God said, my servant, 400 years back, if you would have even thought about it, it's gone. Four centuries and gone. I know, if, if think about it, no, if some, um, no offense against charismatics, if some Pentecostal prophet, you would have written something like this, I would have said, oh, something strange over here. But if John Piper, one of the most authoritative Theologians in the evangelical movement, he writes this and he says, you know what? It was the judgment of God. God was warning them. Why? Because four centuries, you compromise a little over here, a little over here, a little over here, a little over here, a little over here. here, And then you try to accommodate the culture. And then what happened, happened after four centuries, now you are wanting to ordain somebody into the ministry, into the pastoral ministry, which God calls an abomination. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. He was using scripture, by the way, as his authority. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And we'll say, okay, I'm not among all of these. No, I'm not so bad. Look at the next list. Nor thieves. I'm the same list, okay? They're just continuing. Nor thieves, nor covetous. How many non-covetous people here? Who do not covet something which belongs to your neighbor? Yeah? Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And you know what? This is scripture. Martin Luther used Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and he said, A man is justified by faith alone. Scripture was his authority. Scripture is his authority. And you are now trying to bypass scripture. To accommodate yourself into the culture. Four centuries. And they're gone. See, we need need to understand something. Unless constantly, every day of our lives, we are not confronted by the truth, we will all disintegrate into rebellion and into the flesh. That is the reason why the pulpit is the most important office. I mean, it's not about people who hold the office. It is because it's his word. It's his... His prerogative that he uses fallen men like me to share his word. I don't take that lightly. But the idea here is, it is the only way you will be kept on the on the on the straight and narrow path. Otherwise, you see, little compromise there, little compromise here. God will not be mocked. You know what? Whatsoever a man sows, so also he will. I, I mean, there's a very interesting Charles Swindle, If you know, if you know some of you know it. Very, very powerful man of God. He was um, when he was in his younger years. He was uh, attending a Christian convention in Toronto, Canada, and uh, during the break, it's a, it was a Saturday afternoon. He finished the morning session, and uh, during the break, he wanted to go and relax in his uh, in his uh, hotel room. So he goes to the to the to the lobby of the hotel, and then he gets into the lift. Two young, pretty women inside the lift. Uh, and then he turns this way and then he presses sixth floor. He wanted to go to the sixth floor, so he presses sixth floor and he looks at them. Uh, where do you want to go? He asked them, where do you want to go? They said, six will be fine. And you know what Charles Swindle, you know, it's a fantastic statement he makes. You know, at that moment, I felt like I was Tom Cruise. I was so handsome, even in my middle age years, that two young girls. And then at that instant of time, he has a memory, what do you call quickening, if you will. He gets a word that his mother taught as a child. God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows, so also he will reap. Do not be deceived. And then he looked at them and he said, no thank you. I have sufficient at home to handle. Incredible. This is a man who has been mightily used by God in the da- Dallas Te- uh, Theological Seminary. You see, God is not mocked. Little compromise here, nobody is watching. Little compromise there, little compromise, little com- And over a period of time, you know your trajectory is just off course. You might be just off course by one degree when you started. You travel 200 miles, you are off course by a considerable That's exactly what has happened. 400 years. Oh, you did textual criticism, upper criticism, lower criticism. Oh my goodness, you should see the kind of theology that came out of out of Germany, including big, big theologians like Karl Barth. You know what Karl Barth said? There are only three words that Jesus spoke from the cross. The rest of the five words were added. Kalbat, the most one of the most respected theologians. I do not even think on those lines. You know why? Little compromise here, little compromise there, little compromise here, and you know, before you know it, you're off course by several hundred miles. Every generation there has therefore has to be taught. Otherwise, boy, you will you do not understand the seriousness of sin. Even if it's Little sin. Jude chapter 1, verse. therefore, verse 3 onwards, it say, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for, for, for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into license." They turn the grace of God into license. You can do whatever you want, God will accept you. God forgives. God is a good God. Let us sin so that grace may abound. We're looking at one of the reformations which I want to look at today. Remember the last Wednesday message and if you were there in the Sunday pastors conference. Remember after Solomon, and because God is not happy with Solomon, God comes and this kingdom is split into two. Solomon's son gets two tribes which is combinedly called the tribe of, I mean the country of Judah, Judah and Benjamin, from the southern kingdom. That is Rehoboam under the leadership of Rehoboam. And Jeroboam, he gets, uh, ten tribes and they formed the northern kingdom which they call themselves the israel which they call themselves israel as and then this is what happens when um, rehoboam, when rehoboam is uh, made king after solomon the king rehoboam consulted the elders who served his father uh solomon during a lifetime this is what we, uh, we heard on wednesday how would you advise me to answer these people so he's asking these uh these people how do i how do i deal with these people here they replied if you today be a servant to these people think about this no you should be what a servant. I remember Narendra Modi after he became the president of, 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 of sorry, Prime Minister of India, the first address that he gave from Lalkila. Red fort. May desh ka mantri mantri ka matlab ho, sevak. Kya and the very next day, suit. Namo, namo, namo. You know it. Chief servant. See, they said, and they gave a very interesting advice. They said, if today you be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. You be a servant to them, they'll be servants to you. That is is what Peter will say. As stewards of the manifold grace of God, use it to serve one another. Charles Swindle wrote a book called Improving your serve. And he's not talking about a tennis serve. Improving your attitude to be a servant. And then, of course, he asks his uh, peer group, and they said, the young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. not tell them, my little finger is thicker than your father's waist. My father laid you a heavy yoke, I will make it even more heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. And you know what happens. Israel splits into two. Jeroboam takes off with ten tribes. And uh, that is a northern kingdom called Israel. And Rehoboam is left with Judah. And then this is what happens to Rehoboam. Uh, Jeroboam. This is in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. After seeking... Oh, this is... Uh, and... Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, this is after seeking advice the king made. This is Jeroboam. Made two golden calves, remember? One at Dan and one at Bethel. He made two... Uh, golden calves at the northern kingdom, at the southern kingdom. Why? Because he did not want his people to go to Judah, to Jerusalem to worship. So he wanted to protect them. Okay. So the northern kingdom gets split and he doesn't want the people to go to Jerusalem to worship. So what does he do? He puts a altar here in Bethel and he goes to the other corner of the, of the country and he puts an altar there in uh, Dan. So, so what, what does he say? It is He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up at Bethel and other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. And the people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan. And you remember what happens. And he takes the uh, kingdom into more and more idolatry. Then comes a very interesting passage. First Kings chapter 13. You should read the accounts of the kings in the Old Covenant, both in Chronicles and in Kings. It's remarkable. It's like Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Look at what it says in 1 Kings chapter 13. And behold, a man of God went from Judah. From where? From Judah. He went to the northern kingdom, to Bethel, by the word of the Lord. And Jeromam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar. By the word of the Lord and said, oh, altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a child will come. What's his name? Josiah. When is Josiah going to come? 300 years later. He knows exactly what who's going to come. He's he's going to be a what? A child. And his name is? Josiah. What will he do? He shall be born in the house of David and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places. Who burn incense on you and the men's bones shall be burned on you. And he, and he gave a sign the same day saying, this is a sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart and ashes on it shall be poured out. And do you remember? Northern kingdoms goes from back to worse. They have no good king at all. And southern kingdom doesn't do any good. They had eight good kings somewhat. And after Hezekiah, they come two kings. One is Manasseh. He rules for 55 years. And his son Amor. He rules for 2 years. Manasseh takes the kingdom from to towards his father, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly king. But Manasseh doesn't care anything. He absolutely destroys the spiritual structure of Israel, of Judah. Does all kinds of trash. And then finally he is taken as captive. Okay, he's finally taken as captive. And then in captivity, he cries out to the Lord. Lord hears him. He grants him repentance. He comes back and then he restores. I mean, it's incredible. 51 years he destroys Israel, almost, with his idolatry. And after his death, his son Ammon comes into the throne. Ammon was about 22 years when he becomes king. He rules for two years. By 24 years, there is a conspiracy in the, in the palace. They murder him. So the children of Israel, they come. They, they understand that there was a conspiracy. The catch all of those guys who killed the king. They execute them and they make Josiah as the king. Now if you read the story of Josiah, it is like the Protestant Reformation. Let's see what happens. Let's see about Josiah. This is about Josiah. Second Kings chapter 23 and verse 25. Neither before him nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he said, as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. None like him. Let us see and learn how the reformation takes place during Josiah's time. In 2nd Chronicles chapter 34 verses 1 to 3. Josiah was how many years old? 8 years old when he becomes king. What did that man prophesy? Who will come? A child will come. 300 years before even Josiah knows. He doesn't even know by the way. That some prophecies about him. 300 years before. A child. No, the other day we had our graduation in... Uh, our Grace Tabernacle Learning Center. Okay? We had three children who finished learning to read program. What does it mean? By now, they know how to read. So, during the graduation, I looked at all of them and I said, they're all about 7, 8 years old. I looked at all of them and I said, you know what? You're about 7 or 8 years old. You're roughly about the age of Josiah. How many 8 year olds here? None. Age does not matter. He was 8 years old when he became king and he reigned for 31 years. So how many years totally? He lived 39 years. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of who? David his father. That's his, who's his father? David is his father. He did not turn to the right or to the left right hand for in the eighth year. So he was eight years old when he started to reign in his eighth year. How old is he now? 16. How many 16 year olds here? Less than 16, sweet 16. Can you raise up your hands? Don't be ashamed if you're 16. I was 16 long time back and I was not seeking God. 16 years old, when he was still young, I love that word, still young. Think about it, no? Look at the, look at his background. Manasseh, horrible grandfather. Ammon, worse father. Trauma, father murdered. 8 years old. He chooses to have David as his mentor rather than Amon as his father. That's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible for me. You know something? It doesn't matter how young you are. You can always choose the right thing. You know it. You know it. You know what is right and what is wrong. Children know it. You're still young. He began to seek the God of his father. 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. Look at what he says. Let not anybody despise you because you are young. But be an example. You know that your children can be examples over here. How many 16 year olds here? You can be examples in conduct, in, in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit and in faith and in purity you can be. He started to seek the Lord when he was young. Look at what it says in the next word. He began to seek the God of his father. Okay? He did not begin to, begin to seek his God. He began to seek the God of David. He was still not his God. Look at what happens next verse. In chapter 33 verse uh, 21. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. This is Ammon, his father. And he reigned for two years. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord. His father, Manasseh, who was Ammon's example? Manasseh, who was Josiah's example? How many years before? 300 plus 40 plus 40 plus 40. 420 years before. That is the example he chooses. Not even in the immediate circumstances. And I was wondering, how did he make this choice? How did he make the choice to seek his God? Think about it, no? Just everybody, just follow me for a few minutes, okay? He was 8 years old when he became king. Okay. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. How many years old? 22 years old. He ruled for 2 years. 24 years. Right? 22 plus 2? 24 years. At that time, Josiah was how many years old? 8 years old. Because he died in 2 years time. He died. 8 years old. So when did Ammon have Josiah? Come on, come on. Think, 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 think. think. 16. Good. That means he married at least when he was 15. Ammon married when he was 15. Fantastic. okay? So don't think children are to get married now. But 15 years he got married. He had uh, so Josiah when he was 16. Josiah was 8 years old when Ammon died. And Manasseh was 55 years as king. So if you look at the math, if you go back home and read the scripture, you will see for 6 years. For six years, Manasseh and Josiah were living together in the same palace. And during this time, Manasseh was actually repenting. And Josiah looks at Manasseh. This is only pure speculation, okay? Josiah looks at Manasseh. Why is he behaving like this? This humbling of himself. Whom does he resemble? Oh, he resembles my great 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 grandfather David. I want to take that as my example. Whereas my father will take I'm a, when I say his example. I don't care. But I'm going to choose the right example. You know, you can always make a choice even when you are in your classes. 16 years old, you can always choose your company. You can always. That's the reason why Corinthians will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, evil communications corrupts good character. Evil communications corrupts good character. Somebody said something, you know. When you take a glove, white glove, and touch mud, the glove becomes muddy. But the mud does not become glovey. You know, I remember when I was a kid, they used to ask me this question. What is the difference between a fly and a mosquito? Anybody? What is the difference between a fly and a mosquito? Everybody will say A mosquito sucks blood. A fly does not. Trick question. Very simple. A mosquito can fly. But a fly cannot mosquito. That's exactly what he's saying. When you touch mud, the glove becomes muddy. But the mud does not become glovey. So if you are with bad company, it is going to affect you. That is exactly what God tells Jeremiah. You should influence them But they should not influence you. Question, my dear brothers and sisters, when you are young, who influences whom? In your class, do you get influenced? I'm telling you, I I struggled even when I was in my late 20s. When I go to my office and in my lab and I automatically sit with my ungodly or unbelieving friends, automatically my other side comes out. I start discussing Quentin Tarantino and Tom Cruise and... uh, You know why? I feel so so much at home. Who's making who, who's influencing whom? They are influencing me, but I'm not influencing them. Think about your conversation that you have in your office. Who's influencing whom? Anyway, so he chooses his mentor. In the 18th year of his reign now, this is 18th year of his reign. How, How old is he now? Anybody? Plus? Yeah? 26. Okay. 26 years old. What does he do? He wants to cleanse the temple. What does he want to do? He wants to cleanse the temple. Temple of what? Of whom? Read that. God, his God. Suddenly the God of David has become his God. Isn't that amazing? What happened in these 10 years in the 16th year of his life and the 26th year of his life something happened something happened in these six 10 years that caused him that caused god of david to become his god what happened let's see scripture and in the 12th year of his reign so how old is he now 20 years old. Okay, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. They broke down the altars of the bowels in his presence and the incense altars, etc., etc., etc. He made them dust. Remember, who made them dust first? Moses made the golden cups dust. Remember, that's exactly what he's doing. Okay, and then, and scattered it on the graves of those who have sacrificed them. The prophecy comes true. He also burned the bones of the priests on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And he so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, Naphtali, all around with swords. When he had broken down the altars and the images, he had beaten the carved images and the powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. He turned to Jerusalem. He returned to Jerusalem. Something he did. What he did was incredible. He cleansed the land with idol, for, of idolatry. He cleansed it of idolatry. Now you might ask this question, what is idolatry? What is idolatry? It's a very important question you need to ask yourself. What is idolatry? See, idolatry means something which takes you away from God. I want to worship God, but now God is not my top priority. Something else, something else happens. Look at what Jonah will say in Jonah chapter 2. This is Jonah when he's in the belly of the whale. This is what he cries out. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you O Lord, And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless, you know what's it? Is? Clinging, something which is close to your heart. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's grace for them. But I, I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from you. What does it mean? Something which is very close to your heart. If somebody touches that, boy, all hell breaks loose. Breaks loose. You cling. You know, it says in uh, uh, First Kings chapter 12, Solomon loved many women and he clung to them. And you now what happened? They turned his heart away from God. Clung. Clung to them. Question. What are you clinging today to? Apart from God. Is God your everybody? Everything? I mean, are you clinging to him saying, Lord, without you I am nothing, Lord. Without you I am nothing. And everything which I am clinging to, apart from me, I am willing to destroy. How many of you are willing to do that? I remember one brother. Long time back. Very, I mean, quite true three years back. He went to the US, you no? Know, and he told me something very interesting. He said, we don't get the same kind of word that you get in church. Okay, in your church, we don't get the same kind of word. Very, very powerful word. Now, I had a question. I said, you know what? You had a choice to stay here. I mean, you didn't have to go. What do you value? Do you value the word of God more important or something else is more important? What are you clinging to? So many people, you know what? They want to hear the good word, but they want to hear the good word from somebody else, somewhere else. It's not going to happen. See, internet has actually spoiled a lot of, actually pampered us. We think by sitting in front of the computer and downloading a message, And listening to a message is sufficient. No, 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 no. Scripture says when two or three are gathered in my name, who's there? Jesus is there. So when you hear the word in a community of believers, something else happens. That's a mystery. So a lot of people, I want to hear the word, but at my convenience, and they will complain, you know what, my church, we don't, What are you clinging to? Oh, I'm clinging to this place because it's convenient for me. It's close to me. School is close. Office is close. Church is close. Everything close. Anything which inconveniences me, I don't want to do anything about it. David said, I do not want to to offer God which costs me nothing. What does it cost you to come to church? Think about it. What does it cost you to come to church? Not only that, what does it cost you to come to church on time? What does it cost you? So do you cling and say, you know what? I want to just be close to this clinging. This is how my convenience has come, convenience has become your idol- idols. John chapter two, another, another idols, idol, big time idol in everybody's life, opinions of others. Look at what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 42 to 43. At the same time, many among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for the fear they would be put out of synagogue. They want to cling to the tradition. And what do they say? For they love the praise of man rather than the praise of God. You see? What is your idol? What does my boss think? What does, what do people think? What will people say if I confess my faith? How many of you are absolutely unashamed to tell about Jesus and to make your priorities crystal clear before your non-Christian brothers and sisters or your non-Christian family or non-Christian friends? How many of you? Another man who actually broke this idol, Luke's Gospel chapter 19. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, here now and now I have given half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times. Dead to the opinions of men. I don't care what people think about me. I don't, it doesn't matter a lot. Even if they think that I am a thief, it is not, not a problem. I want to break that in my life. I want to cling to you. I don't want to cling to the opinions of men about me. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I should not be a bond servant of Christ. Very clear. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' own words. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so many people, even Mahatma Gandhi was persecuted for righteousness' sake. But the catch comes in the next verse. Look at what it says. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for, ah, for my sake. That is when, are you ashamed? Do you cling to your opinions? Do you cling to the opinions of your friends? Josiah was one guy, he didn't couldn't care less. He said, you know what, I want to seek God. And whatever comes in my way of seeking God, I want to destroy it. Purged the land of idolatry was willing to humble himself. He was willing to pay the price. He said, Lord, doesn't matter what people think about me. Most difficult thing for many people is the opinions of men. So James chapter 4 verse 6, he gives grace to the humble, oh sorry, grace to the humble, but he rests the pride. It's only humble people who are willing to die to the opinions of men. That is the reason why I I'm amazed at the testimony of that guy. I know several people who went to prison. That is David Woods. The person who got David Wood to the Lord. Remember? He convicted of 22 felonies. I mean, he, uh, he was not convicted. He confessed and he said, you know what? I did so many crimes. Please arrest me. Went to, ch- went to the prison and in prison he got a convert and that convert changed the world even today. You see? He gives grace. That's exactly what he did. He said, Lord, I want to appropriate your grace in my life and I do not care what other people think. I want you in my life. So he clings to him and he destroys everything else. It destroys people's opinion about him. He's willing to go through all the pain. Second Chronicles chapter 34 verses 30 to 7, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land, and the temple. He sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah. Uh, the governor of, of the city. And Shoah the, the son of Joah. the recorder, To repair the house of the Lord. His God. Now when they brought the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. Hilkiah the priest. Look at this. He found the book of the Lord. It was gone. He found the book of the law. The Lord has given to Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe. I have found the book of the law. It's gone. It's, it's, it's been buried for so many years. They have lost it. I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord and Hilkiah gave the book to Shafan. Shafan carried the book to the king, bringing the word to the king saying, all that was committed to your servants, they are doing and they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and I've delivered it into the hand of the overseers of the workmen. Shafan the scribe told the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shafan read the book before the king. This is exactly what Very similar to the Protestant Reformation. All the truth has been, has been submerged and suddenly somebody discovers the Word of God again. You know, it happens over a period of time. Every generation, every generation, like this Lutheran said, faith, justification by faith alone. That is what Martin Luther brought out. John Wesley said, justification by faith, but Grace, we are no longer under grace, but, sorry, we are no longer under law, but grace, therefore sin shall not have dominion over us. That's what John Wesley brought. And then came the Protestant movement, which brought the, the charismatic gifts, and every generation brought out the truth, but over a period of time, they lost it. Shafan the scribe told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shafan read it before the king, and what does the king do? Then it happened, When the king heard the words of the Lord that he tore his clothes. How old is he? 26 year old boy. Young man. Tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam and Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe and Esaiah a servant of the king saying Go inquire of the Lord for me for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath that is poured out on us Because our fathers have not kept the word of the law to do according to all that is written in it. Question. When you read the Bible, or somebody reads the Bible to you, did you ever have this kind of a reaction? See, do you read the Bible this way? Do you hear the word of God this way? Do you have conviction when the word is being preached to you? Isaiah chapter 29, this is what he says. The whole vision has come to you like the words of a book are sealed. Which men deliver to you, to one who is literate saying, read this please. Please read it. What do you know what they say? And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book is delivered to the one who is illiterate saying, read this please. And he says, I cannot, I am not literate. So many people read the book. I, mean, I, I know it's very interesting. They're so qualified in some areas and then when they're qualified in some areas and when you give them the word of God, they're absolutely illiterate. They cannot even respond. So many intelligent people with all the PhDs and HDS of course, All the degrees. But when they read the word of God, Nothing happens. Nothing. No response whatsoever. No conviction. That is the reason why Jesus said something very interesting. He said, you know what, Lord, you have hidden this word from the wise and the prudent, but you have revealed it to whom? To the babies. To those people who are willing to humble themselves. That is to whom you have revealed. And what he says, this verse, look at this. The great is the wrath of the Lord. And he's asking this question. How come God has not consumed us? When we have disobeyed him so completely. How did he not consume us? That is, what, that is the question he's asking. And then. as after 29, Therefore the Lord said. Inasmuch these people draw near with their mouths. They honor me with their lips. But they have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandments and opinions of men. Many people. When they read the word of God, absolutely a closed book. They don't hear the voice of God. Faith comes by hearing. Faith does not come by the word of God. Or reading the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the voice of the word of God. And so many people that read the word, don't understand. Don't understand. And then you ask them. I, I when, when I was growing up, I, was, I used to read the Bible. And I used to, somebody said, don't read Jeremiah. You don't understand. You will not understand. He did not understand. Don't read Isaiah. You will never understand. Romans, are bore, tough to, tough to read. But the same the fellow will say, you know what? Go to IIT coaching. Why are you not getting this problem? Why are you not trying hard? Why are you not working hard? Why are you not trying to solve this problem? They will say all those things, but when it comes to the word of God, you will not understand. Just give up. Just give up. You see? Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 26. But as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire, this is what he's this is, the, this is the prophetess. In this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words that you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against the inhabitants. And you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you. This is a 26-year-old guy. He tears his garments. He humbles himself in front of all the people. And he says, you know what? I want to repent. I want to change my ways. I don't care about what people think about me. But there's something over here. God is angry with us. We are going to do something about it. Surely I will gather you to your fathers. And you shall have gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring. On this place and it is inhabited. So they brought back the word to the king. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, what do they do? How do you consume God's anger is there? So what do you do in order to repent? What do you do? This is first chronicles, first John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. What is the Lamb of God? 2nd Chronicles chapter 35. Let's come back to Josiah's story. Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. And they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. That is when everything starts in his life. I want to get right with God. The only way I can get right with God is to keep the Very interesting festival. What they were supposed to do? They were were supposed to slaughter the animal, take the blood, put it in a basin, take hyssop, hyssop is that grass, sprinkle it on the doorpost of their house and uh, on the doorpost and they also sprinkle it there so that when the angel of death comes, it will pass over. That's what exactly what Moses did the very first time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 7 to 8, for indeed, who's our Passover? Christ our Passover. God gives grace to the humble. By grace alone. Who is the Passover lamb? Christ alone. Therefore let us keep the feast. Not with the old leaven. Nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. But with the unleavened bread. Of sincerity and truth. And the next verse. For much more than having now been justified by his blood. This is Romans chapter 5 verse 9. We shall be saved from wrath. So what does, what, does, what does Josiah do? He offers the Passover lamb as a sacrifice. And how does he do it? How do you do it? Hebrews chapter 11 verses 27 and 28. By faith, this is Moses. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Next verse. By faith, what did he do? He kept the Passover. He humbled himself. Evidence of grace. He killed the Passover through Christ. How did he keep the Passover? By faith. So you have the first sola grace through Christ alone. Sola Christos. Through faith alone. Because by faith he kept the Passover. And then what happens? uh, This is Romans chapter 27 verses 12. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. God is glorified in everything. In everything God is glorified. All begins with one choice. You know what that one choice is? To follow the right example. All begins with that one choice. One choice determines your entire course of your spiritual life. One choice to follow the example of David and not His father and mother who messed up. So many people, even in the church, when they ask them this question, why are you like this? My father, my mother. Because of them. If they would have been believers, everything would have been fine. Let me tell you, there are so many examples in the Bible of godly parents who had ungodly children. Just because you have godly children, godly parents, it does not mean that you will become godly automatically. You know what it means? You have to make a choice to follow the God of your father. So many ungodly parents had godly children. What does that mean? Everybody has a choice to make. You have to choose. And the choice, you don't have to take the way of your father or your mother. You don't have to. Just because you have an ungodly upbringing, it does not justify that you have chosen the wrong path. No way. No way. You cannot blame. There's so many people, even in, in, when they're growing up, they'll say, my parents, my parents, my friends, if they were godly, things would have been so good for with me, with me in my life. No. It is your choice. You still have a choice to make. My father was a problem. And one man of God was very interesting, very smart man of God. This guy came, came to him and he said, you know, I'm, washman knee okay watchman he came to watchman he nee said you know what I am in such poverty why are you in such poverty my great-grandfather was such a rich man my great-grandfather was such a rich man and he went into debt and he destroyed all our money he spent it all off and now I'm in poverty I want a solution to my problem you know what watchman looked at him and he said okay I have a pro- I have a solution to your problem he said you know what I have a time machine we'll do we'll do one thing we'll go back in time and we'll kill your grand- great grandfather What we'll do? We'll kill your great-grandfather. You can go free. He looked at him and he said, if you kill my great-grandfather, how will I be here? Precisely the point. You don't have to choose. You don't have to point the finger at somebody else. You still have the choice to make. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Somebody said, you make choices. Ultimately, the choices make you. You sow the seed and ultimately you have seed to sow. Think about it. How can you have good seed if you have been sowing bad seed? Impossible. Impossible. Still have a choice to make. And all began with one choice that he wanted to follow the example of David and not bad examples. One choice. One choice. Determines everything else in his life. Your glory is not good. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Sorry. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may have a new lump. You truly are, so that you are truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sang, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You can, you, you can make a choice to purge it out. That's what the point here is. So come back, come back to Josiah. Second Kings chapter 23 verse 25. Neither before him, nor after Josiah, was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. This is exactly what Josiah, this is the story of Josiah. He turned to the Lord with all of his heart. Now the point here is he turned to the Lord. How did he continue in his walk? Second Chronicles chapter 34, the king sent all and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which he had found which had been found in the house of the lord then the king stood in his place made a covenant before the lord to follow the lord to keep his commandments his testimonies his statutes with his heart with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written who made a choice the king made a choice and he made all who were present in the, in, in jerusalem and, and in benjamin to take a stand he said you know what i'm doing this you also take a stand Make a covenant that you will also follow God. You remember recently, Pastor sent us an interesting WhatsApp PDF about AW Tozer. Let us make covenants with God. How many of you read it? Have you read that? If you haven't read it, ask me. Many people are afraid to make covenants with God. Because they say, if I don't keep the covenant, what will happen? But if you really want to progress in your walk with the Lord, only way you can progress is is by making a covenant with the Lord. You know what Job says? I have made a covenant with my eyes to not lust after a woman. Even if you slay me, I will still worship you. I have made a covenant. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. So help me Lord. That's what Josiah said. And in Telugu, there's something very interesting, no? They say, Gumpulo Govindam. Everybody goes in, in one direction, every, oh, Josiah is saying this, okay, let us all say, I will also keep the covenant of the Lord because otherwise, he will feel bad. Nalgurtho Narayanandam. So this is exactly what he does, so he, everybody, oh, Josiah, oh, come here, let's all make a covenant, take a stand. Oh, yeah, 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 we'll all take a stand. You took a stand, we'll all take a stand. Everybody. Outwardly, takes a stand. But it is not written about them that they turn to the Lord with all of their heart. No. It's not written about them. Just because you have a godly leader and a godly pastor or a godly prophet, it does not mean that everybody will choose to follow their godly example. No. Everybody individually has to make a choice. Thus, Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country. That belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present diligently to serve them. He made, I mean, it's like, okay, I'll do it for your sake. I'll do it, pastor, because you asked me to do it. But you don't have your own personal convictions. But you know what will happen if you continue that path? Jeremiah will talk about that. The Lord said to me in the days of who? Josiah the king. Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? This is talking about the northern kingdom she has gone up on every high mountain under every green tree and there played the harlot. And I said after she had gone, she had done all these things. Return to me. But she did not return. During whose days? Did Judah have a righteous king? Who was Judah's king? Josiah. Look at this. And her, who? treacherous sister Judah saw it. It's amazing. Josiah's example was David. The people under Josiah's example, uh, people under Josiah's, their example is Israel. Not Josiah. They saw who? They saw Israel. What did they do? Then I saw that uh, for all the causes which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce, yet her Treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also under the nose of Josiah. That's the remarkable thing. You see, you are what you really are when nobody is watching you. That is what you really are. That is the when Paul tells the Philippians, he said, as much as you have obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But you know, once Josiah said, come on, make a covenant. Follow the Lord. Okay, 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 okay. We'll all follow the Lord. We'll all follow the Lord. We all follow the Lord. But you know what? Under the very nose of Josiah, they were enjoying life. So it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees under Josiah. Ostensibly saying, you know what, we all love the Lord. And yet for all this, her trusted sister Judah had not turned to me with her whole heart. But what did she do? She pretended. When Josiah said, come, 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 come. Let's all come for fasting and prayer. Oh, yes, pastor, I'm coming for fasting and prayer. Come for the meetings. Yes, pastor, I'm coming. Because you asked me to come. Otherwise, you'll give me a headache. That is exactly what happens to all the young people. Come to the meeting, but they are not interested. Oh, yes, yes, uncle, yes. You know, Whenever in your class, you have to look at people who sit at you like this and say, you have to be careful of those people because they understand nothing. They understand nothing. They're just pretending. Right under your nose. How do you know? It? By the time the exam comes, you'll know. Pretending. They oh yes, uncle. They all come, they pretend, they all pretend. Can you imagine? Right under a righteous king. You have a righteous king turning with all of his heart, but you have a set of people who do not want to follow that example. I want to ask you this question today. Think about it. Think about it. Think. It's a challenge for all of us. Think. Think about it. No. Five weeks we will not have pastor with us. No counselling. No phones. No observing. How will you behave? As it is, he doesn't force anybody. But how will you say, no, he's not there. I want to take the initiative. I want to fast and pray. I want to fast and pray for those meetings. I want to seek the Lord with all of my heart. I want to read the word with all of my heart. I want to seek with everything that is in me. The best I can. See, if you don't, over a period of time, pretense will show. What they did? They did not come with their whole heart. They all did Namaskaram with Josiah and they went back home to their idols, to their movies, to their sports, to their pornography, to their sin. But when they come to the word of God, when they come to church, they say, you know what? Satan, get out of here. Satan looks at them and says, you know what? Jesus I know. Paul I know. Pastor Sharon I know. But uh, who are you? It's Im- incredible. You will not have authority over the powers of darkness because you're pretending, because they know. in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Really? What is your authority? What is your standing? You're living in sin. You're living in pretense, and you're saying, Satan, get out of here is going to happen." No way. He's going to be very much there in your life. He'll bring seven more demons also along with him. Because he loves pretense. Pretend more, Vijay. Pretend more. Let people think that you are very Let's say exactly what happened to Saul. Samuel, 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 Samuel. Please come and stand next to me. Just pretend that I am godly. It's interesting, right? When Saul prophesies, there is a saying. Is Saul also numbered around the prophets? Is he also a prophet? Knowing that he's living a pretentious, pretentious life, how can he be a prophet? That's remarkable. That is what I, it scares me when I see this entire story. You have one man who turns to God with all of his heart, but you have a rest of the entire generation who just wants to please. So if you think that by pleasing your elders or your pastors, you can just get to heaven, Without having your own conviction and assurance of your salvation. So many people in Christendom, they don't have assurance of their salvation. You know why? Because they pretend. They've never, ever, ever confessed with all of their heart. They've never acknowledged the truth of their own lives. No, they pretend. That's exactly the reason why. 1 John chapter 1 will say, If you say that you do not have sin, you make God a liar. That's what you do. And Psalm 50 says, you did all these things. You slandered against your own mother's son. And then, when I kept silent, you thought I was just like you. You thought I was just like you. No way. You thought I was just like you. How many of us here want to be like Josiah? And he's 8 years old. I mean, he challenges me. Guy in the old covenant, guys. Think about it. No Holy Spirit. No Bible study. No Romans. No internet with all kinds of teaching all around the world. No twice, two meetings in a in a week. No book of the law. No book of the law. Just 6 years of Manasseh's repentance. That's enough for him to seek the Lord with all of his heart. And he brings the greatest reformation. At least ostensibly. That's, that's a sad thing. I mean I didn't want to end with Josiah's death. Because it's really sad. Really sad how he dies. He dies at the age of 39. But one thing I want to ask myself. Today. I see reformation. Look at reformation. You know what reformation begins? It begins with the individual. It does not begin on a corporate assembly, no. Revival starts with the individual, goes to the family, and then extends to the corporate. You never have corporate divide because God is looking at individual hearts. That's exactly the reason why the first reformation was between Abel and Cain, and it said Cain brought an offering, Abel brought an offering, God looked at Abel and his offering. God looked at Cain. Individual. God looked at Abel and his offering. No pretense. No guile. No hypocrisy. Transparent fellow. Accept. God looked at Cain. Ah. And his offering. Sorry. Please do well. Very angry. His true colors are shown. Think about it, no? When uh, when you eat the fruit of the tree, you will surely. Who was the? What is the first death? Was it death because of natural causes or was it death because of murder? Death is already there inside your system. First death recorded as a consequence of sin was murder and not natural reasons. Why? Because one guy pretends. He says, everything is okay with me. And they ask him, what happened to your brother? I'm a brother's keeper. He's lying to God. This morning, Reformation starts with each one of us individually. Individually. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Corporate. But then you know what Paul says? I'm the chief of all of them. He died for me first. Started starts there. Young people, don't let anybody say, you know what, you are too young to be holy. No. Too young to follow the right example. Take some time. Relax. Take it easy. You will waste so many years of your life in futility. Let me tell you honestly, as an elder brother, you will waste so many years of your life in stupid things. When you could have used that time to seek the Lord with all of your heart. Josiah sought the Lord when he was young. And he chose to follow the right example when he was young. What about you and I today? Shall we pray this morning? S- just search our hearts this morning. A few minutes in the presence of God. Martin Luther stood alone. One man stood alone. One man stood alone. God starts his revival with one man. Reformation starts with individuals. I pray. Just just take a few minutes and pray Lord. Lord search my heart oh Lord this morning. Search my heart. Search me. Try me. Know me. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me into the Path of everlasting life. Search me, O Lord. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just. To cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to forgive your, forgive all of your sins. But if you say you do not know, you have no sin, the truth is not in you. It doesn't matter how much you have fallen this morning. Even till yesterday. Even till this morning. You can never come to God based upon your obedience. It is only by His grace. You can never say, Lord, I obeyed all these years. I deserve your grace. No. The soul that sins. Will die, whether it is a righteous soul or a wicked soul. And this morning, you can set, you can start off your ear this, this today. Today, you can start off afresh with the Lord and say, Lord, things that I cling to, relationships which I cling to, things which have become idols in my heart. I want to purge them so that I can hear clearly from you, like Josiah did. Close to my heart. Pretense. I want to take it away, Lord. I want to wholeheartedly follow you, Father, because you are not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that's exactly what he will reap. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would grant us the grace this morning, each one of us, especially in this house, beginning from the youngest, youngest here. So many young people, with so many struggles, oh Lord, pretending to be what they are not. One in the church, one outside the church, one at home. I pray, Lord Father, that Lord, that you would convict every one of us of our double life. Lord, that we will not sit in the church and worship like Josiah and make covenants with you and go back home to our harlotry and idolatry, O Lord. That we will not come and raise our hands in the church and sing to you and then go back home to our pornography and our movies and our entertainment. Father, We don't want to play games, O Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us, O Lord. Grant us grace to walk closely with you every day of our lives. Keep short accounts with you. To walk in humility so that we can experience your grace. Father, without faith it is impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to him must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of all those who seek you diligently. And Lord, we want to seek you with all of our heart. We want to seek you with all of our heart. Pray Lord, you grant us the gift of repentance this morning, O oh Lord. You grant us the gift of repentance. We might have heard this word so many times. But Lord, we need a fresh touch. A fresh repentance. A fresh turning back from our idolatry. Fresh turning Back toward you. Convict us, chastise us, exhort us. But Lord, do not forsake us. Do not forsake us, O oh Lord Jesus. Don't rebuke us in your anger, O oh Lord. That we will be brought to nothing. Whom have you in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth we desire beside you, O oh Lord. That is what we want to come to, O oh Lord Jesus. That we will cling close to you, that we will hold on to Him. You alone, O oh Lord Jesus, we will cling to you, O oh Lord. Grant us grace to that and we pray. We thank you, Father. We praise you, Father. We worship you. We thank you, Father, for all the saints, all the cloud of witnesses that, has, that have gone ahead of us. Incredible examples that, have, that you have said, you have shown before us, O oh Lord. Enable us, O oh Lord Jesus, to look up to them and not look at those people who have fallen. Fallen aside. Even if they are our own parents. Our own relatives, our own friends, our grandparents, oh Lord. Enable us, Lord Jesus, to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And to enable us to follow godly examples. People, and enable us, oh Lord Jesus, to be godly examples. So that we will be worthy of being imitated, O oh Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Touch each one of us this morning. Touch, touch, Lord. Touch, touch, Lord. Touch, Jesus. Touch, Lord. Touch, Lord. Continue, O Lord Jesus, to do your work in our lives. Exhort us every day of our lives. Don't stop speaking to us, O Lord. Don't stop, O Lord, speaking to us. We need to hear you. We want to hear from you, O Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. Once again we commit our pastor into your hands, even as he ministers in different places. I pray, Lord, you would touch your servant, anoint him afresh. Let the let the word come forth with unction and power and authority. Use Him mightily, O Lord Jesus. And all of us over here, O Lord, enable us to walk with you diligently, O Lord, every day of our lives. Week, week, day by day. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory, honor, and praise for this day. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.